Hey guys, you're listening to Drunken Uncultured. We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. I'm Lindsay. I'm Stephanie. And it's been a while. And we say been... that all the time, but it actually has been a so while. So it, it has been almost two months since we last sat down to do an episode together because we pre-recorded all of our July content so that you could go on vacation. Yeah, so it's, uh, I would say it's probably been more than two months then. Uh, I think we recorded at the beginning of July, right yeah. before you left, so. Um, yeah, so we're back. It's been a while. Um, and then you broke your hand. And, and then, then I did break my hand, and we didn't do anything in August, because I had a cast and couldn't type. Um, but yeah, we are back for an episode. <laughs> you said we are back, like, six times. I don't know what to say. Um, <laughs> it's been a while so it's gonna be stephanie's music corner yeah um we're just gonna jump right into me talking about my favorite albums that came out in the month of august because okay forget all those other months (laughs) i mean i don't think we did july either so it doesn't matter too late (laughs) okay so the first stuff i'm gonna talk about came out on august 18th it is the new album from oc's called intercepted message um, I was trying to look up what number album this has been, um, and I lost count. They've had, they've got a lot of albums. They have a lot of band names too, so it's probably hard to figure yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, there's OCs, OCS, there's the OCs, the OCs, the OCs again, but multiple words, and then it's OCs, just OCs, and now it's OCs one word because John Dwyer can't. Stick to a name. No, and he says that he does it because it's funny to him, basically. Like He's entertaining himself. He says that, like, they people get annoyed and he finds it funny. And anything to say fuck you to the press circuit. That's fair. I do love him. He can do no wrong. Except for that album he released earlier this year that was very bad. Yes. <laughs> so but that was not oh, the OCs. That this was is the Dwyer. 27th studio album. <laughs> it says on the oh, Wikipedia love page. That. Uh, so it was released on August 18th, and this is more of a synth rock kind of album for them compared mm-hmm. to like their previous more punk yeah. or thrash, you know, foul form. Um, it's so much fun to listen to. I call it John's Attempt at a New Wave album, or if they just took the song Night Expo and made a whole album, you get Intercepted Message. So my favorite thing about this is my vinyl came in before Stephanie's, and like one night... The three of us were, like, we were drinking and decided to put the record on. And her and Matt are, like, dancing and jumping up and down so hard that the record record is skipping and we had to turn it off Um, and just listen to it on Spotify. um, So with that, I gave it a 10 out of 10. I think that deserves a 10 out of 10. Uh, The next one I'm going to talk about came out also on August 18th. It is the new album from Hozier. Mm-hmm. Um, so the album is called... Hozier. Hozier. I always call it Hozier. I don't care. I actually don't know. I think it's Hozier. Um, it's called Unreal Unearth. Mm-hmm. It is his... That's his third, one, I think. Two, his third studio album. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's emotional. It's good. It's easy to listen to. He hits you right... What the was, yearning. Yeah, I was listening to say, what was that one TikTok? The, the yearning. yearning. Yeah. Nobody uh, yearns as well as Hosier yearns. Um, it's a phenomenal album. All of his music is just so good. Nobody will ever love me in the way that Hosier loves whoever he's singing about in that moment. A lot of this album, I've seen a lot of people dissect the songs, but it's a lot of like 
Hosier basically trying to like kill himself for this relationship that's not working and he's yearning and yearning mm-hmm. and yearning for this relationship to work and so he's destroying himself yeah. to try to make it work. Um, I've seen a lot of people. I don't think anybody will ever love anyone the way that Hosier loves people. No. They don't make people... um, People don't yearn like that anymore. (laughs) No. Only in Ireland do they get men that are that tall that just yearn. (laughs) (laughs) They don't do yearning like they do in Ireland. Um, I gave it a perfect 10. It's such a good album. I highly recommend you at least sit down and spend some time with it. It's so... I mean, I love Hosier, so I agree. Um... The third one I'm going to talk about also came out on August 18th. So it's Genesis. Oh, God, I can't say his last name. Osu, I think is how they typically pronounce it. Okay. Genesis Osu. Um, He's an Australian singer, rapper kind of guy. But this album is very, like, funky, dancey. It's like a very just Mm -hmm. fun experience listening okay and um i have been convinced to go see him at talia hall okay with former guest justin in october um so we will be going to that it will be very good i gave this album a nine what did you give hosier a ten okay yeah um oh oscar messed up my pants that's not nice um (laughs) the next one came out on august 25th it is the, oh god, I don't know how many albums these guys have either. Hold on. It's the sixth studio album from the band A Giant Dog. So they are like this punk rock band from Austin. And they have, like, I almost think of it as a combination of like, like, it's like a punk rock and almost like a thrash meeting, but this album has like a really cool theatrical bit to it. The album's called Bite. Okay. Probably should have said that at the beginning, mm-hmm. huh? That's okay. Um, <laughs> two beers at lunch does this to you. <laughs> um, it's, it's got this like really cool theatrical note that runs through it. It's still got those really cool punk and thrash notes to it. Overall, it's a really well-rounded, interesting listen. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it a nine. I thought it was so cool. Okay. I enjoyed the whole experience listening. I had never listened to these guys before. I had seen their name pop up on like shows and stuff. They're actually, they're actually playing The Empty Bottle at the end of October, and I think I'm going to go, because okay. I feel like this album was so cool that I need to like go experience this band now. Which, things like this is why I enjoy making these album lists, because mm-hmm. I find a lot of cool shit. Um, the last album I'm going to talk about also came out on 825. It is the new album from Buck Meek, who is the guitarist for Big Thief. Okay. Uh, the album is called Haunted Mountain. It's got the right, um, blend of like Americana and folk and country where the whole album, it feels very like mystical Mm -hmm. and very just like easy to listen to okay and he's got like this very like twangy sound where it kind of like blends the line of genre a little bit okay um i also gave it a nine it was so good i'll have to listen to that i love big thief so much um so i think he does incredible solo work Mm -hmm. and i actually at pitchfork this year caught him do like an interview in the doordash area where he was Mostly talking about Big Thief, but he was dropping hints about Haunted Mountain, and I was very excited for it. Okay. So, yeah. Um, Cool. Let's get into the beer, then. 
Um, so Steph, what are we drinking? Because you brought this. I did bring this. So I was recently in Denver. I went to go see Beck and Phoenix at Red Rocks. But we made a little pit stop at True. And I picked up the Lord of Broken Things. So this is a Saison with Colorado honey and rose petal. Also, sorry guys, I'm dog sitting. So you might see him like playing with the bone outside because he's not happy about being locked, being out, of locked out of the room. Um, so I just had some of this. It's, um, I, I really like this actually. I had this on draft when we were there. It's very saisonny. So like it doesn't get overwhelmed by the honey and the rose petals. The honey is kind of like the upfront taste that I get. And it's mm-hmm. almost like a raw honey flavor versus like a processed honey where it's mm-hmm. got more of that like floral note yeah. to the honey. Um, and then I don't get a whole lot of rose petals, but I do get like that floral note that I think is like where the rose petals are coming in. This almost reminds me of a wheat ale a little bit in the way that the final like flavor profile turns out for it being a Saison. You get some of that like tart note to it, but it reminds me a lot of a wheat for some reason. I would kind of, I get that because it's not like super hay forward or like earthy like a Saison typically is, but you do get a lot of that like kind of straw yeah. I guess hay and straw are the same thing, but you guys get what I mean. Um, you sure. get kind of like that gr- grassiness um, that's like typical of a, a Saison, but then the honey kind of mellows it out. And then you still get that it, really strong floral note. Yeah. Too. I think the floral note is what like makes me think of more of a wheat because that like lends to a wheat better yeah. than it typically does for a Saison, but it's a very balanced beer. I love floral beers. That's been like, I think my big thing for like, 2023 in general as mm-hmm. I'm really leaning more and more towards the floral thing. Yeah. More like lavender. Yeah. Yeah. You've been drinking a lot of lavender stuff or things with Mostly, lavender. Mostly um, odious sellers. Yeah. The violet beer with lavender, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so three words. I'm going to say honey. I'm going to say wheaty. And then I'm going to say floral. Um, I would go with honey. I would say lightly tart and then floral yeah um cool let's get into the episode then cool (laughs) so um we were kind of talking about this at lunch of like what to talk about because it's been a while and we are wholly unprepared let's be honest um, cause it, like two days ago we were like, we were going to record a couple days ago and then we last minute didn't record a couple days ago. Yeah. So here we are now. Um, but while at lunch we were kind of, and I think our TikToks are all over, like have a lot of this on it right now. It's and also it's, very relevant because it is. Yeah. Cause we're about to riot fest. Yeah. So, um, I guess to not bury the lead, we're going to talk about give up by the postal service and really kind of a Ben Gibbard focused episode so like we're gonna we'll probably at some point talk about death cat for cutie but really this is about this was inspired by give up by death cat for cutie yeah so give up by postal service and it's relevant because we're seeing postal service at riot fest on friday so the whole point of days after the whole concept behind this episode was that death cab and postal service are on tour right now together together uh a ben gibbard and the the libbard wibbard if you will yes (laughs) Um, but Postal (laughs) Service is celebrating the 20-year anniversary of Give Up. Death Cab is celebrating the 15-year anniversary of... Transatlanticism. No, it's also no, it's 20th anniversary. It's, yeah. 20, it's double 20. I, I keep say, forgetting. It doesn't, I saw 15 them, doesn't make sense. I saw them on the 15-year anniversary um, show. So they're doing a double 20 anniversary for both albums. So Ben Gibbard and his two bands are performing both albums in the full on tour. And they're going to be playing Riot Fest. So a couple yep. days after this episode comes out, we'll be seeing both of them. Yep. 
um, do their full album playthroughs. And it's been kind of like the Postal Service haven't really toured outside of the initial tour supporting. They Give did a up. couple random shows yeah. around the 10 year anniversary yeah. mark. Um, but this is like the first real opportunity that a lot of people have had or are going to have to see this album. So it's kind of blowing up on the internet. And we thought it would be a really fun opportunity to talk about this album um, because there's a lot of like really unique things that happened around it that hadn't happened yet. So I don't know if you have a history pulled or I guess let me, well, if you want to pull up a history, I can talk about the real reason this came up and it's yeah. because I was on a plane and, um, you know, normal people like read books or read fan fiction. I do both, um, on planes, but I also like to download Wikipedia articles and, um, predict what my Wikipedia black hole will be and download those articles. So I downloaded, um, like the, the postal service Wikipedia and just kind of went into a black hole while on a plane, um, reading about the postal service, reading about this album and learned a bunch of stuff that I didn't know previously to listen to this, to listening to this. Um, you know, cause I think I discovered this album like in 2005 or six or something like that when I was like a teenager. Um, and I just didn't know the full background of it. So this, this album came out in 2003. I would have been 11. You would have been nine. nine. Um, so like children. Yeah. Um, so I think both of neither of us discovered it until a little bit later in life. Um, I think I was in, I was in high school when I, I found was in, it. So I was like my probably, freshman year of high yeah. school or so when I found this. Um, but it's, uh, it's been pretty impactful for like the millennial generation as a whole. Yeah. So just going into some history, Ben yeah. Gibbard, who's the singer-songwriter of Death Cab for Cutie, as everyone yep. knows, and um, musician Jimmy Tamborello, who records under the name... Dintel. Dintel. Yeah. Um, he's electronic. So this is really one of the first times that like an indie singer and an electronic producer-ish thing kind of got together to yeah. create um, an electronic, an indie-tronica, indie-pop. Yeah, this was probably the one of the first big examples of like the indie electronica thing, right. which turned more into like party music down the line. But, right, you know this. But is this the beginning. is this has both aspects of each genre. Yes. So one of the first like actual like true combinations of it where you see both. Yeah. So um, they first started working together in two thousand and one when Dintel was releasing the album Life is Full of Possibilities, which that album, because Dintel is basically just a DJ, he had a lot of um, guest vocalists, and one of the guests was Ben Gibbard. And so they really enjoyed their experience working together, um, and they decided to come together to form, you know, the Postal Service. I think before we get into that, I think an interesting thing to talk about, too, is, like, where Death Cab for Cutie was during this time. So Death Cab for Cutie was on a hiatus. They were touring a bunch and kind of burnt out. So they decided to take a step back and not do anything for a little bit. Because I think mm -hmm. there were like 10 years of nonstop touring at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so they stepped back. They were like burnt out. They weren't getting along. And they were they were kind of like on a hiatus. So this is kind of what came out after that. Um, in like Ben Gibbard's free time, mm -hmm. essentially. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, hold on. I'm flipping between pages here. Oh, I can go. Um, so this was sort of a long distance collaboration. Mm -hmm. Ben lives in Seattle and, um, 
Jimmy. J- Jimmy lives in LA. And the the interesting thing is like the the postal service is named because they were mailing things to each other. They were mailing each other demos and clips to put together. They weren't doing any of this online, which the internet obviously existed at this point. But they were like using the old snail mail. Um, except they were like using FedEx and like U- UPS and not the Postal Service. Yeah. Um, but they were like mailing each other CDRs, like demos burned on on, on CDs, um, and then adding elements and then would send it back, and then the other person would add an element and send it back. So it was a very slow process. I think it took like, from what I remember, over a year for this to be made. There's some discrepancies on how long it actually took. Um, the actual once they were done with the demos, the recording process was quite quick, but the the demo process was was mm-hmm. quite long. Um, and part of the reason they, like, enjoyed working together was, you know, Ben Garrett had done so much indie music in the past, and they were able to contrast some of that indie, like, traditional instrumental with Mm -hmm. just, uh, Jimmy's, sorry, electronic, um, samples. So, Ben wrote the lyrics, um, provided vocals, and then added instrumentation, whereas, Jimmy provided any of like the sim- simulated mm-hmm. aspects of it. Um, I think another one of the really interesting things about Give Up is initially Ben wanted to do an EP, okay, and Jimmy convinced Ben that they should do a full length because one, it would they'd get more, they make more money off of yep. producing that, and then they'd get more attention because it's something that hadn't been done before. And his whole thing was like, if you're gonna do it, do a full album mm-hmm. um, as opposed to an EP. And basically said, like, people will review, an e- will review a full length and they won't review an EP and you can sell it for way more. So they signed a joint deal together with Joy and Pop for one album. And this is um, this is kind of where it began. So I think it's really interesting, too, even just, like, looking through this stuff. They, like, didn't know each other very well. So not. there was a lot of hesitancy yep. in all of this because... You're kind of trying to like put your best face forward to this musical collaborator that you really don't, don't know. know. Yeah, and you don't trust yet. Right. Um, I, I agree. I think another interesting thing is so Ben kind of took this as like a healing opportunity after what was going on with Death Cat for Cutie. So he like was very earnest in the song lyrics. He would ro- walk around after getting the CDs from um, Jimmy and... Like, listen to his disc man mm-hmm. back in the day and walk around and write lyrics and melodies to go with it. Um, and then manipulate things on his laptop um, to make it sound better. Um, he, I guess, reading online, he said that he found composing music more difficult than writing lyrics. And he found this, like, really fun, as a, like, a really fun challenge mm-hmm. to do because he was composing actual music for once without having a band help him out. Mm-hmm. Well, because even at the time, I think Ben, during all of this, you know, like he's, they're on hiatus from Death Cab. He's working on this. He's producing. I know he did production work for the thermals around this time, too. So he's kind of all over the place doing a little bit of everything all at once. Yeah. Um, And they were writing basically this, like, at the pace of, like, two songs a month, which is pretty slow for an album. Yeah. But because they were, like really working on this as, like, a therapeutical thing, therapeutic thing, um, you know, it came out to be what we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other thing to note is that there's a couple of guest musicians on the album, which are, I guess, part of the band now, at least the band that's touring now. Yeah, I mean, there's Jen Wood, 
Jenny Lewis, who I had no idea was part of the Postal Service yeah. until like a couple of years ago. My yep. friend mentioned it and I was like, wait, the Jenny Lewis? Yeah. Um, so he invited her, he invited uh, Jen Wood uh, to collaborate on this um, and provide, she provided backing vocals on Such Great Heights and Nothing Better. And then Jenny Lewis um, joined in as well. Um, and over half of the album includes her as on the track listing. And I think the interesting thing about this album is it was released with like very little promotion. Yeah. So that's like one of the things I thought was really fun to talk about is, you know, it was kind of released quietly mm-hmm. and it was a lot of word of mouth that mm-hmm. um, promoted it. A lot of people talking to each other about it. Um, they didn't, they didn't promote it from with press they toured very briefly with it um the out like they i think what i read was the only radio stations that played it were public radio and college stations which checks out um and you know they there was very little um promotion behind it so it's considered like a sleeper hit um but it, it became like a pretty big cult album through word of mouth. Uh, it's gone platinum, which is insane for, which at the time was huge for an indie album, considering it didn't have promotion behind it. Um, so reading, um, during Christmas in 2003, they sold 9,000 copies in a week and Sub Pop was able to carry the album at larger retails like Tower Record, Virgin, and Best Buy. Um, supposedly Best Buy moved the most amount of product out of all of them. Um, but 60% of the sales came from retail chains, 30% through independent record stores, and the remaining 10% through, like, mass merchants and non-traditional sellers. Um, but, you know, it, it's done a huge amount. It sold a lot for a, yeah. an indie record at the time. It also, it's funny that when you, like, read more into this, both of the guys acknowledge, like, Such Great Heights is the hit of the album. And they, like, went out of the gate. When when this album started to gain traction, that was the single. Like, that was the one they shared. That's what they sent out. Sub Pop offered it as a free download yep. at the yep. time. So, you know, the, the album by... Or the single by August of 2005 had been downloaded over 9 million times mm-hmm. across 4 million users from the label's MySpace page. Talk um, about a timestamp. I know. it's. I think it's an interesting thing to like kind of bring up is like, this is very much a millennial album. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, people are maybe getting into it now, but it's the Postal Service are very much a millennial band. Um, it says the first time they got major radio play was in January of 2004 on K-Rock over in L.A. And mm-hmm. they started playing Such Great Heights as the album yep. uh, grew in popularity. So that's almost a year after the album comes out. And it just then starts getting radio play. Yeah. And I think the other interesting thing is so... The thing that people mo- know most, I would argue, about Such Great Heights is the Iron and Wine cover of it. From the Garden State from soundtrack. From the Garden State soundtrack. And so much so that, like, I know people that did not know that was a Postal Service song before, like, you know, they're told that it's a Postal Service song. Yeah. Because it's, it, it's, the Iron and Wine version of it are, is so much more popular. Like, you know, it was used in t- TV ad- adverts, like, for M&M's and then... 
um, Target. Uh, the original version oh. became later. Um, in the, well, yeah, yeah, and then on like the Garden State soundtrack, which is like you know the indie holy grail, pretty much of yeah. soundtracks. Yep. Um, which I think is super interesting. You know, it does say the original song has been in commercials since you know 2003 for Target, UPS, all kinds of random shit. The song was the original theme song for the medical drama okay, so Grey's Anatomy. I have watched Grey's Anatomy, and I have never heard such great heights in... I've never watched Grey's Anatomy. I, so I, I do. Um, but, so, within two years, such great heights was certified gold for 500,000 copies. Um, and then the second album, the second single, The District, District Sleeps, Sleeps Alone, Alone Tonight, Night. peaked at number three. Um, which is a great song, too. I mean, yeah. the whole album's great. The whole album's great. Um, it didn't debut on Billboard's all-genre top 200 albums until 13 months after its release. And again, like, kind of credited to the slow build of people finding out about it mm-hmm. because there was very little press and yeah. media. Um, but it, like I said, it's considered one of, like, not, like, one of the biggest indie albums, but, like, at the time, one of the biggest indie albums. Because this hadn't happened for indie albums. Like, indie albums didn't go gold or didn't go platinum. I mean, we also were looking into this. Um, This is the second biggest selling sub pop record of all time. And sub pop's been around since 1988, 1989, something like that. And with number one being Bleach by Nirvana. Yeah. Um, So, like, huge that this, like, little album. There's also more discussion around how the song really continued to blow up once iTunes and the iTunes store became a thing. Okay. So Such Great Heights really propelled this album to get buys through the original Mm -hmm. iTunes store. Yeah, I think the interesting thing to to Give Up Routinely was the number one um, electronic album on the iTunes store for the first several years of its existence. And I I do think that interesting thing to think about is, like, this is before streaming was a thing. Oh, yeah. So, like... Finding albums really was word of mouth. If you were not promoting it, it, you had to have known the band or known somebody that knew the band or knew a member mm. of the band from a different band. And it's it's it really like wasn't set up for for the success that it had. Apparently, give up. Um... Hold on, wait. I had to reread this because this sounds fucking crazy. Um... Sub Pop tapped the Napoleon Dynamite uh, creator, Jared Hess, to create the music video for We Will Become Silhouettes. <laughs> That's I've never also seen that a time, video. That's also a timestamp time thing. Time I've never seen that video. Um, the other, I think, interesting thing about the Postal Service is they were under, they were sued by Apple App- and the U.S. Postal Service. Um, they sent them a cease and desist because they were going by the Postal Service, and saying that they were tarnishing and diluting the trademark. Um, And in the end, Ben Gibbard met with the U.S. Postal Service representatives, and they came to, like, an agreement, um, and they licensed the name the Postal Service to be able to use it. That's so funny. It says that the guys performed at the annual USPS convention in D.C. in November of 2004. I mean, that makes sense. And then it was also sold on the USPS official website. That's so funny. And then they were able to use the music, music in their advertisements. advertisements yeah. yeah. The reason that there's the Apple um, yeah. dilemma is because, and I've not seen this Apple ad, but it's like a collaborative 
ad with Apple, but in Intel. And it apparently is very similar to the Such Great Heights music video. Okay. Where it's space-suited scientists in, like, a laboratory. And it's just... I Again, I've not seen the ad, and I've honestly... I don't think I've ever seen the video. Um, but apparently it's a shot-for-shot recreation. And they weren't informed Correct. about it. And then Such Great Heights was very shortly promoted on the Apple um, music main page after this video came out. So, um, as far as touring goes, they toured in 2003 promoting the release. So, they toured with um, Ben, Jimmy, and Jenny Lou was toured together promoting it. And um, Nick Harmer, who was was the bassist for Death Cab, yeah. also performed with them. Um, but the, the, the fun thing there is, like, they had a hard time booking shows mm-hmm. because they were such an unknown band at the time that the only way that they could book shows was by saying like death cat for cutie and rilo kenny um and but they sold out all the shows that they or half of the shows that they first performed at and some venues had to switch to larger rooms to accommodate more <laughs> it says their final la date was originally a 300 capacity room mm-hmm. and jumped to a 1500 capacity room yep. <laughs> that's so funny so they toured for five weeks in the u.s between april and may 2003 and then two overseas tours in europe in june and that was it so they then they did a 10th anniversary tour in 2013 that's when they played lala yep um, they did Coachella, Primavera Sound, Sasquatch. Yep. They played the Barclays Center in New York. Like, that's so significantly different than a 1,500-capacity right. venue. Um, and that was it. And they did an after show at the Metro, which was... The Lollapalooza show was the end of that tour. Yep. And the Metro after show, surprise... That was, like, the beginning the of the surprise Metro yeah. shows. And that was the last official postal service Mm -hmm. performance and they said that was the end of the postal service um so according to the wikipedia article because give up was released during like the initial period where indie music was starting to get mainstream attention so like you know think death cap or cutie getting big think the shins getting big Mm -hmm. um it it's suggested that like part of the success is due to like bands like the White Stripes and the Strokes becoming like more mainstream radio bands. Um, but also this album connected with like a younger indie fan base and a lot like older listeners that liked synth pop, so like mm-hmm. new wave things like that. And um, it was super inf- influential on like bands coming up, and I, I think like. You know, a lot of bands will say that Give Up was an influential album to them. Yeah. Um, it says that the Postal Service eclipsed The Shins and Hot Hot Heat as Sub Pop's most hot popular heat. act. And he, uh, it, when Ben Gibbard refers, like, talks about the Postal Service Give Up um, and Transatlanticism, he calls it his most creative year he's ever had. And I think this probably brings us to talking a little bit about transatlanticism. So obviously, like, Death Cab had been around for a little bit when this album came out, because transatlanticism is the fourth studio album from Death Cab. Mm -hmm. Um, This one, so, 
While Give Up was released in February of 2003, Transatlanticism was released in October of 2003. Yeah, and just to, like, come back to this, like, Death Cab was on a hiatus for a little while, Mm -hmm. and Transatlanticism was also, I believe, recorded very slowly over time, and they they took their time recording this because they were so burnt out that they wanted to do a good job, Mm -hmm. and... Like really, like intentionally. Yeah, they filmed. They they filmed it. They recorded it over the course of six months. Right. They were intentionally trying to make this album instead of just like pumping something out because of their popularity. They really mm-hmm. wanted to like intentionally make music together and kind of revamp their relationship as a band. I did not realize this, but um, Transatlanticism was recorded entirely on analog tape, so they had no that. digital technology. Which at the time was still pretty new, but a lot of artists were immediately adapting like a digital recording process. Uh-huh. And I mean, obviously, they did that with postal service at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is entirely done on analog. I didn't know that. The band recorded 12 songs, but left one incomplete at the time of its release. Okay. Ben had said, you know, unlike the photo album, which is the third album from Death Cab... Uh, his exact words are, I feel like this record is definitely more of a proper album. We tried to construct it with transitions of songs going in and out of each other, and it's significantly more expansive than the last record. Yeah, and I think one of the things, too, is, you know, Give Up was, they they state that Give Up was, was it Give Up? That came before? I think so. The photo album? Was it the photo album? That's the last Death Cab album, um, yeah. They talk about how, like, it was kind of a negative recording space and, like, creative space. And they purposely tried to make it more, like, kind and creative and, like, a commitment that they made to each other. And then I think what, I mean, what it comes down to, I think that why transatlanticism is so cool is... It it's another concept album, right? Mm-hmm. So it's exploring the theme of isolation and sorrow across a long distance relationship. Yeah. So um, the album is a lot of love songs and almost bittersweet mm-hmm. ballads, I guess. And um, it says that Ben was fascinated with the idea of geographical barriers as metaphors for personal and emotional barriers. Yeah. And I think you can really tell that throughout these songs absolutely yeah i mean this this album it comes I think, through the concept is so strong and the ben's just like songwriting and performance yep. on this it you can feel you can feel the heartbreak it, yeah. you can feel like the emotional distance between yeah. the two lovers in this and I, I totally agree like this is probably the most emotional death cat for cutie album for me and listening to or like you can feel just how sad Yeah, Ben said that the inspiration for the album's title track came from him observing individuals saying goodbye to one another at the Heathrow airport, just knowing they're not going to be able to see each other for some some time. Mm -hmm. And he said, I had a fantastic idea of what if people were just able to transport themselves across the places or events that separated them. Just by folding a map. Yep. There you go. (laughs) Um... And it's kind of, so it is, like, a concept album, but part of it came apart from, like, came about from him, his own, like, relationship falling apart because of touring. Mm-hmm. So he was definitely going through some shit and, we're like, coming off of one of the lowest times in his life. And it definitely, like, influenced the songwriting on the album and 
this is where he began to focus more on songwriting. Like, this yeah. whole year, 2003, is when he focused more on songwriting and being, like, a more in-depth, more emotional songwriter. And that's kind of like the Death Cat for Cutie we know today. Yeah. So really interesting, as they were, like, in the process of releasing this album, mm-hmm. um, between, you know, the photo album and Transatlanticism, the OC was very popular yep. and gaining a lot of popularity. Yep. So a lack of color was used on the show, and the band actually performed on season two. They did title and registration and The Sound of Settling. Mm-hmm. Which to me is wild that these bands performed on the television show The O.C. I mean, but there's a lot whatever. of bands that perform I know. on The O.C. But the publicity of The O.C. and the Postal Service led to a considerably higher interest for transatlanticism just from the general public. Mm-hmm. The album also re- leaked online before its release. And looking, like at the time, Ben said he was really upset with that happening. But looking back, he said it was a good thing. And if anything, I like the idea of normal people getting a chance to hear it before it comes out. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing here, too, is it was a more collaborative writing process mm-hmm. that they talk about that they were, like, intense, like, it wasn't just Ben holed up in a room. Like, he, he holed up and he wrote this. And then they were... The musicians then took the song and broke it down and added their bits to it. Um, and because it was more, like, creatively produced with all of them, it, it helped them to build a better relationship moving forward. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely see that. It feels like more of a holistic piece than the pieces did... Than the albums did preceding yeah. this album. So the album itself was released, like I said earlier, on October 7th of 2003. They Mm -hmm. released it as uh, a CD, a double LP, and a cassette. Mm -hmm. Uh, The album saw double distribution, uh, double distribution numbers compared to previous Death Cab albums on the iTunes store, Mm -hmm. which also opened in 2003. Um, Yeah, they, there's the first week of sales for this album they projected six to eight thousand copies during the debut it sold more than fifteen thousand it was their first album to ever chart on the billboard 200 list at number 97 and it had sold over a hundred thousand copies by april of 2004 by the end of 2007 it had they had the the record had reached over five hundred and thirty thousand copies sold I think the other interesting thing here is this is considered one of, or considered their first album to have crossover with the emo fan base. Interesting. So up until then, they were just considered an indie band. Yeah. And this was the first one that they had where um, it became like a big emo, it's not an emo album, but there was a lot of emo fans that were listening to this album. Yeah. Um, so... Because the emo scene also in mainstream was popping off around 2003 yes, is when it really started exactly. to blow up. Um, so to a point where, like, they were, they rejected a tour with Dashboard Confessional because they were, like, really frequently compared to them. Um, and then ended up in, like, a major label bidding war. Um, That's interesting. With wanting... Interscope wanted to sign both the Postal Service and Death Cab. Um... And they basically said, like, they're over being an indie rock band. They're proud of what they accomplished. But it's more exciting to reach an audience that stretches beyond any 
genre or age group, and they ended up leaving their indie label and signing a worldwide long-term deal with Atlantic Records. Yeah, they're still on Atlantic. Yep. Um, I'm reading about the touring process for this album, Mm -hmm. and it's really funny. So they're saying for the first three albums when they toured, they drove themselves from city to city in like um, a Conaline van, and this was the first time they had an actual tour bus. In the history of the band with a driver. Wow. It was 2003. Wow. And they were like talking about how band. rad the bus was in interviews. In 2003, they toured with Not A Surf, The Long Winters, and Mates of States. And this was the band's first tour with only one supporting act per show. Um, and they they felt that their catalog was long enough that they could actually support playing a long enough set. Mm-hmm. So they only needed one opener. Okay. Do you have a favorite song on Transatlanticism? That's hard. Oh. It is hard. Should we do the give up one first? Yeah, let's do give up, yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite song on Give Up is Nothing Better. Um, that's one where basically Ben Gibbard and I believe... Is it Jen? Is it Jenny? Hold on, give me a second. Nothing Better. Nothing Better is, I think, Jen Wood. I think it's Jen Wood as well. They're basically having a conversation with each other through the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so, it's about a relationship that's ended and how two people view the relationship differently. And, you know, essentially about how, like, you can romanticize a relationship, but not the other person. The other person may not romanticize it. So it kind of comes from two perspectives, like Ben Gibbard romanticizing the relationship and Jen Wood basically saying, like, it was terrible from the start. And it's not what you remember it as. And it's it's because they're speaking to each other and, like, the verses are split. Um, you get, like, that juxtaposition of their thoughts. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful song about how the relationship ended and one person's happy about it, one person's not. But it wasn't working for anyone. I like We Will Become Silhouettes. <laughs> I do like that song. I don't have as much of an emotional story to tell about the song. I just like that song. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing better. It just fucking makes me cry. I also like Such Great Heights, but that's I just because like that song heights. hits so hard. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've been listening to Clark Gable a lot lately. It's a good one. Um, okay, so Transatlanticism. My favorite song on there is Tiny Vessels. I like Sound of Settling. It's just very fun. Sound of Settling is fun. Also, it's on guitar here. <laughs> Tiny Vessels is really, it's about, like, a superficial relationship and, like, something that's just really, like, physical. Um, and it's so sad because, like, the Ben singing about it knows that and knows that the person's never going to mean anything to him because, like, there's somebody else out there for him. And it's just, like, the way he's singing about, like, how it's just superficial, but he feels so bad about it. It's just, it's kind of heartbreaking knowing that, like... Like, him being like, I know this is bad for us. I know that this is, like, all it is. I'm That's sorry. That's some yearning. Hurt you. It is some, That's some yearning. It's not even yearning. It's just, like, this weird amount of, like, <laughs> self-understanding. It's a little yearning. <laughs> it's not yearning because he he's the he's... one that's initiating the physical only. Um... I, w- I was really lucky in 2018. I actually got to see Death Cab do a surprise performance of the 15-year anniversary of Transatlanticism at the Auditorium Theater here in Chicago. 
It was not announced. Um, they had a show that day, obviously. It was like the day it Yeah, it was the, it was the, it was the 15 year anniversary. Right. And they, they opened. What album were they touring? I could tell you. Hold on. 2018? Is that not like. The... They were touring um, Thank You for Today. Okay. And they opened it and did a couple songs off of that. And they were like, yeah, so today's a big day. It's the 15 year anniversary of Transatlanticism. And we're just going to play it. And that, that was it. Uh, I feel like, like, knowing, not knowing that you're going to get that, it's probably, like, the most fun experience. Oh, yeah. Like, I think your favorite is Transatlanticism. It is, yeah. And so is mine, and... That or uh, Narrow Stairs. Yeah, Narrow Stairs is up there. Um, in plans. But I think if I were to, like, pick, it would be Transatlanticism. So, like, just getting a surprise Transatlanticism performance would be incredible. I mean, we're going to see Transatlanticism at Riot Fest and give up. And I'm going to cry so hard. I need to hydrate so I have these tears. So you have enough tears? Um, To not dehydrate myself. They're also doing um, a second show in Chicago the weekend after, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. At Salt Shed. Um, Which we cannot attend. We cannot attend. Um, I was going to say something about this, though. You got me distracted with the hydration. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm excited. I've I've seen Death Cab a number of times at this I point, have but I've never like seen more than one or two songs off of Transatlanticism at a time. So I'm very excited to see it played in full because that album, like I think for me, was one of my favorite. It, it is one of my favorite albums of all time, and I'm very excited to see it played in full. I'm so excited to see Give Up because that's so influential to like. The music I listen to today. I mean, that's the headlining set of Riot. Right. But it's also so influential to, like, what I listen to today. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the music I listen to is kind of built off of the background of, like, listening, of discovering Death Cat for Cutie and The Postal Service. Yeah. So it's it's going to be really exciting to finally see both albums in full. The emotion on Saturday is going to be unreal. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be in tears the entire time. There was somewhere else I was going to go with this, and I'm blanking now. That's not my fault. Also, Ben Gibber kind of got hot all of a sudden. Oh, that's where I was going to go with this. <laughs> not that specifically, but you saying that reminds me, like, my entire fucking TikTok feed is the Postal Service in Death Cab right now. It is also mine, and I'm here for it. But also, Ben Gibber kind of got hot. <laughs> you you reminded me. You sparked it because you sent that to me. <laughs> <laughs> he did kind of get hot all of a sudden, though. I mean, from what I can tell in the TikTok videos, but I was like, I, you sent me one, and I was like, am I attracted to him all of a sudden? <laughs> it's because the yearning. <laughs> I think it's just really interesting that they've got like this level of fandom still like between both bands yeah like this tour sold out so fast across the country and tickets were reselling for so high right and like they didn't have a chicago date which we all knew we it was all gonna knew be it was riot, riot fest but we were just like fuck i hope it's riot fest like we were like we're pretty sure it's riot fest but i i hope it is yeah um and i think that just kind of goes to like goes to speak for how popular they are towards our age group and our generation is just like how insane people were to buy tickets to this. Like 
it was announced, and I remember, like, all of our friends being like, holy fuck, we have to go. I'm excited. It'll be, it'll be good. I am glad that we didn't have to get, we didn't have to fight the peoples to yes. get a crazy ticket. I agree. But even Death Cab on their own, you know, ignoring the Postal Service and their popularity for, you know, I think they have so much popularity for their lack of touring. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't toured in 10 years. Um, But Death Cab plays... even when very little. Yeah, but like Death Cab plays probably once a year, once every other year in Chicago, and it sells out every time. Right. They still have a huge popularity with people. I mean, I see Death Cab every every chance I have. Why couldn't I go see Death Cab last year? I was doing something. They played the Salt Shed. We saw them at... Or I don't know if we saw them at the Aragon a couple years ago. But that was pre Were you at the um, Just Like Heaven show for Death Cab? Death Cab played Just Like Heaven when we went or last year? Shins. You're thinking about the Shins. I was at the Shins. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. I don't think Death Cab's done Just Like Heaven. I think you're probably right. I'm surprised they haven't, though. That's kind of the vibe. Um... But yeah, we, I've seen Death Cab at the Auditorium. I've seen them at the Aragon. They played the Salt Shed last year. They still have longevity. Ben Gibbard and the Libbard Wibbard are still going strong. Um, when I someone think, said that on TikTok, I'm like, that's the fucking funniest thing I've ever oh, seen. Oh, I think it's hilarious. Um, but I think that covers it for me, at least. Yeah. Like, service. This was fun. This was a fun one to, like, do to come back to... I think so, too. We were talking about it at lunch. Yeah. It was fun to we talk are, about. We, it was just fun to, like, talk about Especially because it's fans. so relevant that yeah. we're seeing both in a couple days. Yeah. Um, less than a week, actually, at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, a week at this point. We'll be seeing yes. them Saturday of next week. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that... Lindsay has to get ready to go see Ween. I mean, not yet. I gotta take a nap first. Um, take a nap. Take um, a nap right here. Take a nap right here. Gonna lay down right here. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please go on your favorite podcast streaming service and give us a five star rating. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can leave us a written review. Um, you can also listen through the song to hear all of our socials, and you can hit us up there. Uh, we've been a little lazy, but that's because Lindsay was out of the country, and then I was on vacation, and then I was on vacation again, and here we are now. And then I broke my hand. Yes. So we it's been a couple slow couple months on the, the Instagram, but we're back. We're doing stuff. We're having a good time. Um, you can see all of our shenanigans that we get into there. Uh, stay tuned for Riot Fest information because I feel like we're going to have a lot to say about oh, yeah. Riot Fest. I think we'll have a lot to talk about. Um, Riot Fest. It's going to be a busy weekend. Yeah. And then with that, we will see you after Riot Fest. <laughs> Bye. All right. That was the episode. So we love hearing from you. Um, and if if you want to contact us, you can do so through our email address. It is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Drunk and Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is Drunk and Uncultured. And our Twitter is Drunk Uncultured. No ant. And as always, I'm Lindsay, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Lindsay Sold Out. 
and I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stephen Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at Shitty Concert Blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.